I think that was just for the kids, but let's be honest, some of you actually wanted to do the hand motions. Uh, Maybe some of you did. I wasn't watching. I didn't turn around. Uh, Let's pray. Father, now we come uh, to this time to open your word and to uh, listen to you. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd help us. Uh, We pray that at this moment we still have a lot of things that we haven't settled in our hearts, uh, that we haven't gotten to with you, but this whole day is intended to worship you, set apart, different from the other days. And so this afternoon, I pray if you need to call us to more repentance, or you need to remind us more of your grace, or you need to help us to set this day apart by spending time in prayer or continued worship, um, by reading your word, by uh, caring for a friend in need, by encouraging somebody that you've laid on our hearts, we pray that um, you would uh, call us out and allow us to follow you in, in those things today. We pray for those who are hurting, who are uh, sad, uh, those who are lonely, that you would, Holy Spirit, comfort. We pray for those that are lost, uh, that you would uh, call them to you, and Holy Spirit, that you would convict. Uh, For those that are in sin or struggling with sin or temptation, uh, Father, that we would realize that uh, the sin that's just so there that easily entangles us does, does not bring us joy. Matter of fact, it robs joy from us. And so we pray, Father, uh, that we would live the life of uh, godliness and life that you call us to with gratitude and with joy. And we pray, Jesus, that you would come back soon. We're tired of the wars. We're tired of the the funerals, Uh, we're tired of the sicknesses, Uh, we're tired of all of that. We long for your new heavens and your new earth. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, just to remind you, uh, if you didn't see the initial video next week, Journey Through Scripture, a celebration I think from five to six, and then the week after that is our Christian Life Conference. We're uh, thrilled about having Ray Cortez here, and then that evening, uh, we're going to come back for a hymn sing uh, with Kevin Chwit. I was already on the video, and Ray Cortez again. So just mark your calendar for that next Sunday night, uh, the Journey Through Scripture, and then the Sunday night after that uh, will be Christian Life Conference. Now, we're in the book of Haggai. I changed that around. If you don't know where Haggai is, go to Matthew. This is how close we are to the New Testament. Go to Matthew and turn over two books to the left, through Malachi, through Zechariah, and then you'll find Haggai. So two more sermons left from the Old Testament, one on Haggai this week, one on Malachi next week, and then we will jump into the New Testament and read through that together. Uh, How I want to start this sermon is this way. There are certain things that matter way more than you think they do. And there's some things that don't matter nearly as much as you think they do. For example, I remember youth ministry, I had this conversation all the time with youth. Uh, Your covenant kids, our covenant kids. Andy, I can't believe he broke up with me. What am I going to do? He was the love of my life. I loved him so much. This was not the way this was supposed to be. And I would say every time, 
this is going to be hard for you to believe, but in 20 years, you might not even remember his name. There's no way we were supposed to be together for our whole lives. I can't believe. I said, okay, okay, okay. This might be hard for you to believe. If in 20 years you remember his name, chances are he won't remember your name. Like one of the two of you are going to move on. Like this is not, I know this is critical to your little 13-year-old heart right now, but I promise you in the grand scheme, you're going to completely forget this relationship probably at all. There are some things that don't matter nearly as much as you think, and there are some things that matter way more than you think. Uh, you know, you get older in life, and it's uh, how many glasses of water a day are you having? Are you getting good sleep? Are you eating healthy? You know what matters more than you think when you become an, an older adult male? Having friends and developing friends. You know what matters more than you think? Living your life by going to worship unless you're providentially hindered because it soars together, it strings together. Some worship services, it doesn't feel like God's there. Others, it does. But it strings together a pattern of sovereignty so that when your life hit rock bottom, you can remember the hymns. You can remember to sing, oh, worship the king. You remember those things because worship has formed you over a period of 20, 30, 40 years. Well, this morning, do you know what matters way more than we think? The glory of God. That matters way more than we think it does. Matter of fact, Westminster Confession, chapter one, what's the chief end of man? What's the whole goal? To glorify God and to worship him forever. Because without the glory of God, without focusing on the glory of God, we'll be tempted to glorify ourselves, to make ourselves, our lives, the center, the foundation. But the problem with that is, you'll eventually become depressed because you'll, you'll realize you're a fraud uh, or you won't achieve what you thought you could achieve or you'll make somebody else glorified. Maybe it's that marriage that you thought was always going to fulfill you or that friend group that you thought would finally fulfill you. If I could only be a part of this circle of friends, if I could only be a part of this company, if I could only be married to that girl, to that guy, you glorify others. But then you'll become disappointed because no relationship can bear the weight which is intended for the glory of God in our lives to honor him. So when we get to Haggai, three points, they're all about the glory of God. And the glory of God shows us that life is about building, not your busyness. It's about building, not your busyness. Now, Haggai chapter 1, they're coming back. Let me just do broad overview again, if I can. Uh, you remember they were taken, the northern kingdom was taken from the Assyrians, 722 uh, BC. Uh, the Babylonians, Babylonians took the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, 586. They destroyed the temple in the process. They took them over to Babylonian. And then what happened in Babylon was eventually the Persians took over there. When the Persians took over with Cyrus, which was prophesied about in Isaiah, when that happened, they started to let some of them go back not all not everybody went back but some of them started to come back in different sorties and so one group came back and here in Haggai we get a picture of that this aligns with Ezra chapter 1 through 6 and so if you want to put those books together and read them together that's what's happening and they're coming back and they're starting to build their homes again but here you see in verse 4 look at what it says 
It says, is it a time for yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? The word of Haggai, the word of Zerubbabel, came to the people and said, I know you're busy. You're all busy like putting your houses back together, hanging the picture frames, getting the couches back in. You've been away from your house for years now and you're now busy to build your lives back. But my house lies in ruins. The foundational part of this city, the temple, lies in ruins. Now this, unfortunately, uh, this verse has been used to kick off multiple, multiple like building campaigns. You know, that's how it's normally used. And everybody preaches it out of context and a little bit like guilt and shame. And, and sometimes you can make it, it sounds, if you just read it, sometimes it sounds like this. Is God just being selfish? Like he wants them to have nice homes. Is God just, is it all about God? Is it all about him being selfish? No, he's not being selfish. Because consider it this way. If you go to a foreign country, uh, you'll go to ruins and you'll see castles, right? And, and you'll read the plaques. Oh, we think this is where the dining room was. We think this is where they kept the animals. And you'll see these plaques and you'll see these ruins of these castles. And uh, you walk away from there and you say, that was neat. That was worth the 20 quid that I spent on that or whatever you spent on it. Uh, but then you never think we should rebuild that castle. But what's happening here is what's in ruins is it right beside you. Imagine on another scenario that somebody, your neighbor, right next door to your house, your neighbor starts to let their yard go. And, and maybe that's happening real time. And then your neighbor gets some chickens. HOA, you're not supposed to get chickens. Then your neighbor parks the car in the front yard. And they say they're going to fix the car. They never fix And now the grass is growing over the car and and then the shutters start to fall and then the house starts to get moldy and then everything starts to get dilapidated and then they leave for periods of time and squatters come in and so now there's squatters in there and you would you would appeal to the HOA you would appeal to the government you would appeal to everybody because that happening those ruins that ruined house right beside you affects you It affects your safety, it affects your value, it affects everything. The fact that the house of God, this temple is in ruins and is right beside them, affects all of them, it affects their value. And so he says, get to building this temple for me. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? In chapter one, the people start to rebuild the temple. They could occupy their lives with busyness, or they could get about building. And as a Christian, we know from Luke chapter 6, right? We know the wise man builds his house upon the rock. We know that we're, we're supposed to build our lives around the things that are foundational. Well, what's foundational? What do you need to build your lives around? Well, there's three things, really. What does God think about you? What does God think about others? Or are you supposed to think about others? And what should you think about God? And all of those are related as this 
theme of the temple trickles out into the New Testament. All of these are related to the temple type language. For example, Ephesians 2. I'm going to read this slowly. This is how you're to think about you. And this is foundational for your life. You have to build your life on this instead of just being busy. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens... But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So a couple things to recognize here. Your fellow citizens, your saints with the whole household of God, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you have a home and you build a home and the community of believers, this is astounding, becomes a temple of sorts where God himself dwells. Do you know the, how Ezekiel ends? We didn't get to preach on it when I preached on Ezekiel, but the last Words of Ezekiel are this. The presence of the Lord is there. That's what they said. The presence of the Lord is there. And may it be said about Mitchell Road or about your homes, when somebody comes into your home or your neighbors, I don't know, but the, the presence of the Lord is just there because we're called to be that temple. First Corinthians chapter six says it a little bit differently. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? whom you have from God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So how are we to think about others in this life? First, you think about yourself as being this place where God himself wants to dwell by his spirit. You're justified. You're adopted. You're sanctified so that you can glorify him. And then how do we think of others? Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only what is good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. So that's how you think about others. We are called to build them up. (laughs) So first, you, you build your life on this reality that you are a part of the household of God, and then you build others up into this reality, not tearing them down, but thinking of others more highly of yourselves so that they might be built up in the faith. And so everybody you see on the Sunday morning at Mitchell Road, I hope your intention is this. How can I build them up? How can I encourage them? Now, you might have to say hard truths. You might have to call them out. You might have to... You know, wounds from a friend can be trusted. You might have to say harsh things to him. That's not, I'm not saying everything needs to be flowery. But how can I see that person in my Sunday school class, see that person in my journey group and build them up? And then how do we think about God? Well, more temple language in John chapter two. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. See, ultimately, we know how this temple works. The temple, the dwelling place of God, is going to be in the incarnation of Christ, who will be the ultimate sacrifice uh, so that the Holy Spirit, his spirit, can then indwell in us so that we can live this life on those foundational rocks so that when something happens in the life, we're not shaken and we're not dismayed, but we glorify God because we've spent our lives building on these realities rather than just being busy with all kinds of things that we can be busy with. Tinkering with our own houses, tinkering with our own lives, trying to get the wall color exactly right, or building on these foundational rocks. It's how we glorify God. Now, here's the second point. As we glorify God, we realize, as he's at the center, we realize that life is about perspective, not your past. Look again at verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? So interestingly, some uh, parents, grandparents, or some of them might have seen that temple. And now they see it in ruins. And why is it in ruins? Because of their disobedience. Because of their failure to follow God and to trust him rather than Trust the princes, trust the kings, trust the earthly rooters. And so the reality is that when they look at the ruins of the temple, that's on them. It was their disobedience that made that happen. And so they could easily, just like you or I could, we could easily use that to shame ourselves, right? And some of you might be there. Let me just talk about this for a little bit because I think some of you are there. Some of you could live your whole life trying to cover up the sins of your past or your whole life in regret and allowing your past to continually shame you over and over and over again. Or you could be living on the self-righteousness of your past. Look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. Look at how I did these things. But the perspective that comes with this is, now think. This is what Haggai's trying to get to. Now look at these ruins. This is because of your disobedience. But now think about what God might do, as it says at the end, verse 9, to bring in this latter glory into this place, which is better than the former glory. I want you to dream about what life might be like. Have perspective of how God might work again, how God might work fresh. You don't have to let your life in the past control you. You can have perspective for how God might use your story. I, I was with a, uh, a situation this week that was actually a carryover from last week, and it was a text stream. And there was uh, five or six of us on the text stream, and we were trying to encourage this one individual. And we just, we couldn't, it just wasn't working. I was using all my best things that I, you know... I, I couldn't, we couldn't get him out of his funk that he was in. Until another friend said on the text stream, and I'll quote his text, quit looking for the goat. And I had no idea what he meant by that until I read the next line. Um, it doesn't mean greatest of all time. He was referring to the scapegoat. 
where the sins of Israel were laid on the goat. He said, quit looking for the goat. He ain't coming back. All your sins, past, present, and future, were placed on that scapegoat, and it was kicked into the wilderness, never to be found again. So, hallelujah, worship God. And the early news reports is that there was a lion from the Judean region who came and ate the goat, who then became the lamb to let you know that you're loved. What a beautiful text. Quit, quit, quit looking for this goat to come back and roost in your life. Say no to that sin. Kick him into the wilderness and let the lion of the tribe of Judah swallow him up and be free. But I think we often think of God's grace and mercy more like a credit card. You know, we can charge it, but God's going to have to pay it off. And we're nervous about the charges. I went to uh, the President's Cup on Friday. Um, and let me just tell you, the President's Cup is uh, a competition between 12 best American golfers and the uh, 12 best golfers internationally. And I told you that because I... I told Curtis Sabose, I said, I'm going, I went to the President's Cup today, and he said, oh, did you play in it? The, the most encouraging thing that anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> the, the fact that you might, you have no idea what we're talking about, so I'll, I'll grant you that, but that was so incredibly encouraging. No, no, I didn't play in it. Uh, you would know if I was playing in the President's Cup. But the, the people that gave us passes were our members of Quail Hollow, the club that is hosting the President's Cup. And so when we go there, you know, you show your credentials and you tell the name and you show the number and you get in there and they give you an armband. And uh, as we're leaving, we saw the member and he said, hey, just charge, charge whatever you need to, to my account. And uh, of course, what do you do? You don't go in there and get some new clubs. You you don't say, I'll take 30 shirts. You go in there and you say, I'll, I'll get just enough. I just want a Powerade. I don't want to, ch-. even though he would pay for whatever, I'm sure he would. You don't want to like run past his generosity to where you feel like he might say, I'm never inviting them. You know, so you get the water, you get the Powerade, you say, thank you very much. You, you know, kind of walk out backwards from the place. That's kind of how the thing works. <laughs> I think we think with God's grace, even though he says the riches and my mercy and my grace will never end. We think at some point you're going to start regretting that you saved me. At some point you're going to start saying that, "Ah, why can't Andy get his stuff together? I can't keep coming back to God for this problem. I can't keep coming back to him, but you can That's the beauty of the grace of God. It's that perspective that your story, even though it might be ruined, can be used again. So you know what I love about this church? So many things. But one of the things I love about this church is on Sunday morning, I think they're still doing this. There's a group of women that meet. I think they're all divorced. And they meet together and that's part of their story. And they use that part of their story to encourage one another and build each other up. They've seen the ruins of what happens with divorce, but they build each other up. You know what I love about this church? There's a couple I know that they've struggled with infidelity in their marriage. And when I call them and I say, I've got another couple in this scenario. Would you meet with them? They said, yes. 
We're not ashamed of our past. It gives us perspective. We are be more than glad to meet with them and share that story. You know what I love about this church? Some of you who are breast cancer survivors, you've come to me and you said, Andy, if there's ever another person in this church that gets breast cancer, you tell them to call me and I'll walk through it with them. The whole thing. You know what I love about this church? I've had business guys come to me and say, hey, I'm successful now, but I went a decade and I completely wrecked my business. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to live in the past. It's giving me perspective. If you have another guy in that scenario, you tell him to call me and I'll walk with them through that valley. Because some of us might have our lives in ruins, but this is a perspective of how God might use your life. So dream again because of the hope and because of grace. Dream again, would you today, about how God might use your story and your life to glorify him, not you? And then lastly, life is about God's glory, not your goodness. Let me read four through nine. We haven't gotten to it yet. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I want to stop right there. First of all, it's not necessarily about our goodness, because we're weak. That's why he has to say, be strong. This theme is given uh, to David. This theme is given to Joshua. And the reason why he's constantly reminding these patriarchs to be strong is because they're all weak. But are you strong in yourself? No, the answer is in verse 4. Be strong for I am with you. Be strong in me. That's the biblical context. Be strong in who I am. Be strong in what I can do. It's not just gird up your loins. It's not like you find strength in yourself. Now take courage and be strong that I, your God, am here with you. Be strong in that. Then look at verse 5. According to the covenant, I'm with you, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Your confidence in Christianity, this is what's so beautiful about Christianity. Again, I say that every week, but there's so much beautiful about Christianity. The confidence is that God has negotiated the covenant with himself. See, we're used to negotiating contracts. You do this, I'll do this, uh, I'll buy this burger, I'll give you $10. Everything's kind of a negotiated contract, right? Can I get extra fries with that? Yes or no? You, ne- you negotiate lunch out. You negotiate business deals out. Whether you know it or not, you negotiate your relationships out. What God says is, I'm going to negotiate this contract, this covenant with myself, and I'm the one who's obligated to keep it. And I will keep all of it for you. So here's your confidence. Remember you just came out of Babylon? But I want to go back to when you're in Egypt. Have I not, says the Lord, always been faithful to you? All the way back from Egypt. I've always been faithful to you. I will continue to be faithful to you. And maybe you're scared you don't have the resources you need to build a temple. Well, he solves that. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I will shake the heavens 
and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I'll shake the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of the hosts. The silver's mine, the gold's mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's going to do all the resources. He's going to do it like a nation shakedown and get everything he needs to build the temple. Because sometimes we think, I don't know if I have it in me to share my faith with that person. I don't know if I have it in me to be generous. I don't think, I don't know if I have it in me to be kind. You don't. God's going to put it in you. He's going to give you the resources you need when you need them for his glory. And then I want you to look again at verse seven, because this is actually very hard to translate. I will shake the nation so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now here's what's very, it's actually, I read a lot of material uh, on this. It's really hard to translate that uh, phrase, the treasures of all the nations, because it could be translated that way. Or it could be translated the desire of all the nations. Uh, You might have a version in your laps that says that or it could be translated the desired nations so i will bring in those who i have desired into this temple so that they might worship me this is um by the way quoted one place in the new testament in hebrews chapter 12 verse 26 where it says and at that time his voice shook the earth But now he's promised yet once more I'll shake not only the earth, but I'll shake the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made, and or that things cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship, reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, let him shake shake you up a little bit, And you know what should be left? Gratitude and worship. Be grateful and give worship to God and glorify him. Why? Because verse 7, I think the translation that I like is, I'll shake the nations and the desired of the nations will come in. You know that scene in Lord of the Rings? I love it. Where all the dwarves come in to fight. And all the elves show up. And then all the, um, uh, the kings of men, the sons and daughters of men all show up. And they all, from all these different regions, they all show up. Such a powerful moment. It's just like that. I don't understand this, but the uh, Avengers Endgame, that part of the movie, and don't explain it to me because I don't care, but... I, I, I love being in the theater and all of these people started showing up for that last battle and people are like standing up and clapping. I'm like, I have no idea who that is, but that's cool that you love him. And they're all, you know, but all is like this culmination of all these people brought in at this very moment. The glory of the Lord is this. I will shake the nations into this temple. I will bring in all the desired nations. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. The reason why I think that last translation is the best is because of what it says in Revelation 21. 
And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or moon, for the glory of God gives its light, and its light is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. As it was said at the last uh, death, not the queen's death, but that, that moment where the scepter and the orb and the crown get taken off the coffin and placed all the glory of Queen Elizabeth passed on to the next person. That's it. And its gates will never be shut and there will be no night and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will enter it nor will anyone else nor anyone who does what is testable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> only those who can say, I'm going into the clubhouse and my name's on the list, but my name's on the list not because of my strength, because I'm not a member here, but Jesus is, and he said he wrote my name down. And, and this picture, I just want to give you this apocalyptic, beautiful picture of what it will be like at that end of time when we get to be get together in heaven and and I, I imagine it as this procession where it's like, here comes all the believers from Japan laying down their treasures. Here comes all the believers from Cambodia. Here comes all the believers from Asia. Here comes all the Westerners. Here comes all the guys and girls from Europe. And now here comes all the babies that were miscarried. Here comes all the crippled people. Here comes all the ones that struggle with divorce. Here comes all the people that struggle with having downs or autism. And they're all streaming in together to worship the glory of the Lord together forever in his temple. And all the desired of the nation comes in and the lamb is at the center and all things are made new. That's what we're in for, friends, and nothing less. It's all about his glory. And so just to be brief... Build on those truths. Make sure your life is centered around a perspective, not just your past. And then live for his glory. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray now that you would give us a bigger vision for our lives than we currently have. And that we would think through uh, what it means